So in ancient days, it was believed as the people looked up into the cosmos, they saw this burning ball of fire up in the sky, and they saw that it provided them warmth and that it provided them heat. They also looked at things like the lightning bolts, and they saw that they were fierce and they were scary. They also saw, noticed that you know, some of their friends were having all sorts of children, and they weren't able to have any. And they saw that some of their friends were having all sorts of great crops and that their crops were failing. And so they thought, man, there must be something controlling the universe. There must be some sort of force that is working. There must be some sort of gods up in the heavens. And so these people who were on earth, they created statues to represent the gods who they believed were in the heavens. They made an iconic referent. This is the god Ra. He was the Egyptian sun god. He was the, the highest deity in the Egyptian pantheon. And they would take their little statues that they would create, which they believed were iconic references, and they would place these in temples. And they would come and they would sacrifice and they would worship at these temples. Now they believed that the relationship between the little statue that they had created and the god in heaven was so close and profound that the house, the, the little statue actually functioned as a house for the god. That the essence of the God who in, was in heaven actually filled the house. And that this little house became a representative, therefore, of the deity. And so they saw that these gods controlled some element of nature. For instance, the lightning. Or they controlled the crops. Or they controlled other elements of nature such as the raging sea, which they believed was the source of all evil in the world. And so they looked at the raging sea and they said, man, this thing is scary and it is fierce. And they looked at the, the deities up in the heavens and they said, if these gods really do control some element of my life, if these have dictating authority over some element of my life, I better do everything in my power to make sure these gods are happy. I'm going to appease them with all of my might, and so I'm going to go and sacrifice them. I will sacrifice my children if it means that the gods will be happy. If my life can be good, if I can get a lot of crops, if I can get many sons, if my life will be free from harm because I worship the gods, and that is why I will go and I will worship the gods. And so notice that idol worship was purely selfish in nature. It was all about what I could get out of it. And in this way, Idol worship kind of became like a modern-day genie in a bottle. Man, I'm going to rub this bottle, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to ask this thing to give me what I want. Or it became like a, like a fortune cookie, right? Oh, maybe, maybe if I approach this thing, it's going to give me good fortune. Or it came, became like a, a rabbit's foot. Did anybody have rabbit's foots as kids? You go around and you rub these rabbit's foot, hoping that good luck will come your way. Or it's, it's like a magic eight ball. You approach this thing because somehow this thing is going to tell me my future and it's going to give me good fortune. It became a trinket, right? These little idols, these little statues became trinkets. And you know what? So unfortunately, in so many circles, Christian circles, the cross of Jesus Christ has become a trinket. It's become this thing that we go to, hoping that we'll be blessed because of it. It's this ritual that we attend on Sunday mornings because we think that if I don't go to church, God is going to get mad at me. It's this thing we approach hoping that maybe my life will be better if I hold on to this. It's this, it's this, it's this symbol we make before we go up to bat hoping that the gods in heaven are going to give me a home run here. For so many people, the cross has just become this thing, this trinket. 
And in some way, in some very unfortunate way, the Jesus idol is speaking to that. That we live in a culture where Jesus is this thing that is approached on Sundays because we hope life will be good. But in a completely another way, the Jesus idol is this. See, when the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, way back, and I'm talking about the book of Exodus here, they were surrounded by the Egyptian pantheon of gods. There was a god for the cats, a god for the frogs, a god for the sun, a god for everything. There was a god for everything. And every single one of these gods had an iconic reference. They had a statue. They had this little statue that they believed were the representative of the gods in heaven. And so when the Egyptians, I'm sorry, when the Israelites are at the base of Mount Sinai, which is right here, they made God an iconic referent. Every god that they ever knew in the history of their existence had an iconic referent, had a physical representative on earth. And so what do they do? They make the god who brought them out of Egypt an iconic referent. They shaped a golden calf out of wood, and they overlaid it with gold. They made God a representative. But God is so angry with this. He is so irate. He is so frustrated. He didn't want a lifeless, mute, blind, and deaf calf to represent him. Right? He already had a representative on earth. His essence had already filled his representative. He created man and woman in his image. And every single person in the history of the earth has been created in man's image. So if an idol is a house for an essence and an appropriate representative of a deity, then the human person made in God's image is God's idol. And to say that Jesus has an idol is simply to say that he has a faithful representative on earth that is filled with his essence and filled with his spirit. And guess what, Restoration Church? We are the church, right? We the church when we live and love and extend kindness and when we become patient and when we become generous, when we express these, we are accurately representing the God who is love. And we are the Jesus idol. When we take up a cross, when we learn to give of ourselves for the betterment of another, when we die to our selfish ambitions and our vain conceits and we live for the betterment of others, when we extend God's kingdom into this very broken world, we become Jesus' idol. And that is what I mean by Jesus' idol, that we, the church, are the representative of God to the world. That we, the church, filled with his essence, filled with his spirit, filled with his love, we are the representative of Christ to the world. We are this new type of humanity that has been freed from the law of sin and death. We are Jesus' idol, and we are called to represent Jesus to the world. And so when Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He is saying that all of the world will know who I am because of the way you live. That you will be my representative to the world. And so this term witness, martis in Greek, it's, it's not this passive observation. It's not like I witness something and I can go on with my life. It's that I witnessed this thing and now my life is, is, is controlled by my having witnessed this thing. All of my life represents now this thing that I witnessed. And so what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you guys get that? We are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are the Jesus idol. We are God's representative to the world. We are a new type of humanity who has been reconciled and made new by the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. And we have this responsibility, therefore, to represent Christ to the world. That somehow and for some strange, unbeknownst, God only knows reason, he has chosen us, our brokenness, crazy broken people to represent himself to the world. That he would choose us to make his appeal to the world. Does that scare anybody? Does anybody look at your own life and you're like, God, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want me to be your representative to the world? Are you sure you want all of the world to look at me and therefore see who you are because of it? Anybody scared? Anybody a little little intimidated? How many of you guys like your neighbors? Good. How many of your neighbors like you? Man, we are God's representative to the world, and the truth is, whether we are full of bigotry and hatred, whether we are full of envy and greed and lust, you know what, we're still God's representative to the world. One way or another, the world is going to look at us to see who God is like. One way or another, the world is going to look at us and say, really, that's what God is like? I don't know if I want to worship that God. And so we have this incredible responsibility and my prayer for restoration church is that we will take this seriously can that be your prayer too by the way can we pray together that we will take this seriously and we've been given this responsibility to represent god to our world and if we the church are the house of god's essence right we are the people who are indwelled with his spirit and that god is love then we have a responsibility to learn with all of our tenacity and zeal and might to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and with all of our might and with all of our zeal and with all of our tenacity and creativity that we might apply that love to our neighbor. Can we do that? Can we do that together? Can we learn to do that together? Can can we as a community come together and say, man, what does it really mean to love in this situation? What does it mean to love the neighbor who doesn't seem to like me? What does it mean to love my enemy? What does it mean to love my ex-spouse? What does it le- mean to love my children? And c- can we ponder that question together? That's not a rhetorical question, by the way. Can we ponder that together? Can we try to figure out what that means so that we can accurately represent God to the world? I don't want to be just another church on the corner that people drive by and say, there's another insignificant church on the corner that isn't doing anything to, to change this world. I want to be an accurate representative of Jesus to our world. I want to be a Jesus idol. Can you get on board with me? Can we do that? All right. So today, heartless, mindless, motionless beasts. In 1991, I was a 10-year-old boy living near Minneapolis, Minnesota, when over the course of three days, we received 27 inches of snow, and it didn't leave till the following August. No, I'm just kidding. One of those days happened to be Halloween. 
So this is a really big problem for me as a 10-year-old, right? Do you still go out and trick-or-treat? I don't know. I did. But even more so, earlier that week, my friends and I overheard some older kids talking that they had found a head in the middle of the woods behind our school. They had discovered a head. And so obviously the curiosity of a 10-year-old boy, right? It's like, oh my goodness, there's a head in the woods? We've got to go find this thing. And so we all determined that on Halloween night, the creepiest night of the year, we were going to go and we were going to find the head. And so we go out into the woods that night. We walk on a path that is covered in snow, hoping that we're going to find this head. And there it is. There's the head. We find it. It's right in the middle of the path. And so the question's going through our head is, man, who, who was this man that all left is his head? What happened to him that he was decapitated and his head was left in the middle of the woods? You can imagine the, the imagination of a, of a 10-year-old running wild when they hear of a head being left in the woods. And so we see this head in the path, and my friend, he goes over to wipe the snow off the head to look at it. And all of a sudden, he sees this giant yellow eye looking back at him. And he jumps back, and, and he stumbles over a log, and he falls down into the snow. And, and, and so I, I, I go, and I, and I brush off the, the rest of the snow off the head. And it's not a human head. It's a deer head. There's a deer head lying in the middle of the woods. And so my friend gets up out of the log, and he steps on the log to, to go and to look at the deer head, and he falls into the log. He, he goes into it, it, it breaks the log, and he, and he stumbles into a pile of sticks. And you look back, and he said, whoa, that's not a log. It's actually the chest cavity to the deer. And he didn't fall on a pile of broken sticks. He fell on a pile of the deer's limbs. There was this... <laughs> you. There was this decapitated head with a pile of limbs and a chest cavity in the middle of the woods. Right, we thought we were going to go find this man's head. What we found, however, was a pile of severed deer parts, legs that had no ability to move, a head that had no ability to think or see or taste, and a chest without a heart. And so what's the purpose of a limb that can't move? What's the purpose of an eye that cannot see? What's the purpose of a heart that cannot pump blood? And so, friends, here's the purpose of our conversation today. We at Restoration Church, this local expression of the body of Christ, this representative of Christ to the world, we can either lay disjointed and disunified like a pile of severed limbs. We can choose to do that. We can lay disjointed and disunified like a pile of severed limbs, and in that state we can accomplish very little in being Christ's representative to the world. Or we can come alongside one another, and we can serve each other, and we can learn what it means to love one another, and we can embrace one another, and we can fulfill and accomplish what God has called this church, this body, this expression of his representative to accomplish. Amen? Because at the end of the day, the church that will be God's appeal to the world, it's not this building. It's not any building on any street corner. That's not the church. And, and I dare to say that the church isn't even the, the people who occupy the building. We together, sitting here, isolated from one another, all staring in the same direction, not interacting with, another, with one another. We're not the church either. You might as well be a movie theater. You, know, you, you, you might as well be a sports arena. If that's what you want to call the church, is the people who participate in the same activity on a, on a, on a given day. 
It's when we learn to love each other. It's when we learn to express the essence of God in love. It's when we learn to embrace one another. Then we become the church. Then we become the representative to the world. And we cannot do that if we're just a, a dead, severed pile of limbs sitting in a building. And so I want you to keep this in mind as we talk about the church this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians is a book towards the, uh, towards the end of the Bible. It's uh, shortly after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if you found those, keep going a little ways and you will run into 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12, starting at verse 12, says this. And the words are on the screen if you don't have uh, a text in front of you. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we're all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it should not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it should would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable we are, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And this is the word of the Lord. All right, so the Corinthians had a problem, right? I, I mentioned this earlier as we were talking about um, the love feasts. They had this divisive spirit that had led some to ex selfishly exclude others while it promoted and highlighted and exalted others. Some possess certain spiritual qualities. Some possess certain spiritual talents. And some people thought, hey, you have that talent? Man, you must be really great. You must be better than all the rest. There was this hierarchy that was established. That because some people spoke in tongues, they thought that they were better than all the rest. Because some people prophesied, they believed that they were better than all the rest. And it's this frustrating, selfish problem that Paul is addressing in the next three chapters of 12 to 14. And he does primarily through this use of a very popular analogy. It's not an analogy that he came up with. It was a very popular analogy in the Roman world at the time. It's the analogy of the body. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly mention here that Christ is the head of the body. 
though obviously it's assumed in his discussion, but he does mention explicitly that Christ is the head of the church, head of the body, in both Ephesians and Colossians. And this is important because it helps us complete the analogy, right? I mean, have you ever thought about how a head and a body interact with one another? What the head and body relationship is like? Why don't you do me a favor? Everybody wiggle your toes. You got all of our toes wiggling today? Everybody wiggle their fingers a little bit for me. Do you know that every movement that your body makes is because your head willed it? That all movement actually starts in the head? That all the commands that your body does, whether it be walking or seeing or, or thinking or breathing or running or whatever your body does, it all originates in the head. Right? The body has no power to move itself. It only reacts to the commands given to it. And in this way, the head is the authority of the body. And so, of course, a body completely detached from a head is a useless body, right? The chest cavity and the limbs lying separated, detached from the head in the woods, they have no power to do anything. And so, the first principle of this lesson is that we are dependent on our head. And who is the head of the church? Jesus Christ, right? It's not me. It's not any of you. It's Jesus Christ. We're dependent on the head. And so, Restoration Church, let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people of submission and dependence and learning with all of our might and all of our strength to say, God, we need you. We can't do any of this stuff. You've called us to accomplish these incredible tasks. You've called us to accomplish this important task of being your appeal to the world and being a representative to the world. God, we need you. We cannot do this on our own. That is our first responsibility. Depend on our head. And so what does the word say in regard to his command, right? If all the commands that we are to accomplish begin in the head, and Jesus is the head, let's look at his word briefly to see what our commands ought to be. What are we supposed to do as a church, in other words? Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law, all of the commandments, all of the prophets hang on these two commandments, on these two principles. Love God, love others. That's what it's about. John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his command. This is the command of Jesus, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, to love one another as he commanded us, to love one another as he commanded us. 2 John 5 through 6, and now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Do you guys get the point? What's the point? Love. And so how are we going to represent Jesus to the world? Love. How are we going to be God's appeal to the world? Love. Do you guys get the point? As I began, we have a single focus, which is played out in a million different scenarios. I cannot give you even a, a, a list. I can't even begin to, to contemplate how, how deep this list is of all the various scenarios, how love could be applied to our community. 
how love could be applied to our spouses, how love could be applied to one another. I know one way love could be applied is by generously giving of what we have so that this family of 10 who has been completely displaced could eat. I could hear the gospel and this great love of God expressed. But, but we could spend the rest of our lives sharing examples of what it means to love one another. That's one of the beauties of it, man. It's this mystery that we'll never get to the end of. It's one of these mysteries that I need you to teach me, the pastor, what it means to love. So what's the point? Love. And if that is the will of our head, then our goal of a body is to put this into motion. That we will be a people who are learning to love. And this is what Paul is so eager to communicate here in 1 Corinthians 12. That it's going to take the talents of, and the abilities of everybody here to accomplish this task. To love one another, to teach one another what it means to love, to, to love our community, to be God's representative to the world. It's going to take all of us. Everyone who calls Restoration Church home, it's going to take all of us to accomplish this task. Paul says, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And he goes on to say that some of us are eyes, and some of us are ears, and other of us are livers, and some of us are kidneys, and some of us are hearts, and some of us are arteries and whatnot. You know the analogy. So think of the deer in the woods. Right? Limbs are detached from a body, man. They don't serve a purpose. A heart that is outside of a chest cavity that is detached from a head does not serve a purpose. Limbs and organs only function with purpose when they are attached to a body that is also attached to a head. Right? Because if your arm is still attached to your body, but your body is not attached to your head, then it still serves no purpose. If your arm is working in congruency and in unity with your heart and, your, and the rest of your body, but your, your body is still not attached to your authority, to your head, you still serve no purpose. It's only when we are attached to the authority, when we submit to the God who is love, that his love can then flow through us. So consider this. In 1998, a 50-year-old German man received the world's first double-arm transplant. Six years prior to this, both his arms were severed in a threshing machine during a farming accident. But the doctors were able to use two arms of a 19-year-old who had been in a car accident, and he was able to give those two arms to that 54-year-old. Can you imagine? Who's 54-year-old? You want the arms of a 19-year-old? Kind, of kind of a good trade, right? According to the doctors, though, the greatest difficulty in the procedure was to establish blood flow from the body into the arms. Right? They had to create this meaningful, sustaining, congruent, unified relationship with the body and with the arms. So how can a limb that was once useless become useful? How can a limb that serves no purpose come to serve a purpose? Well, it needs to be attached to a body that is likewise in submission to the authority of its head. Do you guys get how the analogy works? Is it making sense? Any body part is only purposeful if it works in conjunction and unity with the whole body and does with its own abilities and strength the will of the head. And so think about this. What would it look like if both your eyes were looking in different directions? I think that would be annoying after a while. I think it would be kind of hard to see. What would it be like if my right leg wanted to go one direction and my left leg wanted to go another? You think that'd be hard? Do you see how unity is so crucial to the functioning of the human body? 
Do you see how the unity of the eyes is so crucial to seeing? Do you see how the unity of the legs are so, function, are so crucial in moving? We need the unity of the body to come together, Paul is saying. You need the unity of everyone submitting to the authority of the head to accomplish your goal. And so if we at Restoration Church hope to accomplish anything, our goal of making disciple makers, our goal of being God's appeal to the world, our goal of being witnesses to what God has done, then we need the unity of everybody and also the efforts of everybody to accomplish it. Our goal is simple. Love God, love others. And we need you. I don't care who you are. We need you to help us accomplish that goal to be God's restorative agent in this world. But you might be thinking, man, I, I just I don't have a lot to offer. You know, I'm not a very talented person. Well, Paul addresses this too. He says that the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every part, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Each one of you has a role to play. Each one of you has a purpose to accomplish. Every one of you needs to assist in learning to love God, learn, teaching us and helping us learning to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor, loving our neighbor as ourselves. It's kind of like a basketball game in some ways. How many of you have ever witnessed a game-winning shot at a basketball game? Man, that's exciting, right? This game-winning shot, it's exciting. Well, take a, video, take a look at this video of one of the most classic game-winning shots in NBA history. Sellers will inbound. Sellers has Jordan. Jordan with two seconds to go, puts it up, and scores at the buzzer! Michael Jordan has won it for Chicago! The inbounds pass comes into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win it! They win it! The Cleveland Cavaliers! Michael Jordan hits it at the foul line! This is one of the most exciting uh, game-winning shots in NBA history. But as exciting as that one shot is, it's important, right? That one shot, if you would have missed it, obviously they would have lost. But that one shot is no more important than any other shot made in that game. Do you guys realize that? All the little boring layups that they made, all the boring free throws that were made in that game, if one of those would have been missed throughout the game, man, that shot wouldn't have meant, meant anything. Every single shot was important. Every single shot was meaningful. It doesn't matter how glamorous or exciting the shot was. Every shot was important. And every player on that team is important because as great as Michael Jordan was, right? Many would say that maybe he was the best basketball player ever. As great of an athlete as he was, he couldn't beat any one team by himself. He needed the team. He needed the support of his whole team to accomplish their goal of winning. And it's the same way as the church, right? Every role that assist in accomplishing our purpose is an important role. 
And without the participation of every member of our body working together in unity to accomplish our purpose, we will not accomplish the purpose that God has set out for us. We will be deficient in accomplishing our purpose. And so let me illustrate. I've asked a volunteer, Daniel McClear, to help me out here. I'm going to have him play a little, little game of basketball over here. Want to grab the basketball? Thanks. Daniel, your goal, your goal is to get that ball into that hoop. Okay? Now, now you can do this however you want to. What your, your, your simple goal is to get that ball into the hoop. So, Oh, close. Now, do you think that was the best way that he could have gone about getting the, the ball into the hoop? There we go. There we go. Hold on. You're, you're not done yet. You're not done yet. Hold on. Hold on. Notice how he decided that maybe using his legs to accomplish his goal was going to be helping, getting closer to the goal. He's going to use his arms. He's going to use his eyes. He's going to use all of his faculties, all the members of his body to accomplish the goal of getting the ball into the hoop. Now, take a shot from here. See what you can do. All right. You're not done yet. Hold on. Now, the thing is, even using all of our faculties, even using all of our members, we still may not accomplish our goal. It's not quite that easy. Man, accomplishing goals is, is challenging work. It's, it's hard work, right? Just because we can use all of the members of our body. He, he had his legs. He had his arms. He had his eyes. He did everything that he could do. It does not automatically mean that you will accomplish your goal, and it is true of the church as well. But notice that the challenge of accomplishing a goal when all of the members of the body are not working together. And so, Daniel, can you stand on your left leg for me? Now, can you try to shoot? Oh, pretty good. Can you tie your right arm behind your back? Come back here, come back here. Can you try to make it now? A little more challenging, right? Come back here, come back here, come on. Can you, uh, can you close your eyes? Can you stand on, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, all right. Come back, hold on. Close your eyes, stand on one foot. Put your right arm behind your back. Now try to make it. Daniel, was that challenging? Would you like to play a game of basketball with your arm tied behind your back, your leg lifted up, and your eyes closed? Do you think your team would be very good if all of you guys were doing that? Do you think you'd accomplish your purpose of putting the ball into the hoop? Probably not, right? Thanks a lot. Let's give Daniel a hand. You see, accomplishing a mission is incredibly hard when you don't have the support of everyone you need. It's impossible, actually. And if you've ever placed your trust in God, Restoration Church, God has equipped you to serve his kingdom. God has given you a purpose to serve his kingdom. Maybe you're a prayer warrior. Any, any prayer warriors out there? You just, you, you just are, are called to pray for other people? You're an intercessor? You, my friends, in my opinion, you serve one of the most important tasks of Restoration Church. Interceding on behalf of this body of people. Interceding for our community. Praying over this place. You serve one of the most important tasks. And maybe you're thinking, man, I, that's all I do is pray. Like, that's, I feel God's gift that he's given me. Well, you know, this past Friday night, we had this thing called a prayer and worship service. It was a beautiful night of prayer and reflection and confession and worship. Help us to lead those. Man, we could, we could use you. If you're a prayer, if that is your gift, then help us to lead those. Maybe you have the gift of gathering people. Anybody have the gift of hospitality? You like having people in your home? 
You like teaching. You like hospitality. And then, man, consider being a life group leader. Have people in your home that you can disciple and you can pour into and you can share your love with. Maybe you have the gift of teaching and you love kids. Then, then help us in our children's ministry. Help us, help us raise up our kids to follow Christ faithfully. And to be beacons of light in their school systems and in their, their circles of influence. Maybe you love music. Then get involved with our worship ministry. Help us proclaim God's goodness through song. Maybe you have a great ear for music, but you don't really like to play an instrument, then help us with the booth. And Mark and Tim, they serve, and, and John, really, we have three people that serve so faithfully. Every single week, they spend their time back there. And Tim Adams, thank you, Tim. There's four. But they would love to sit with their spouses some Sunday morning. There we go. Man, if you have an ear, it's, it's, we can teach you to run the buttons. We can, t- we can teach you to turn dials. Help us, help us liberate them from the bondage of the booth that they might sit with their spouses on Sunday mornings. <laughs> Maybe you have no idea what your gifts are. Maybe you have no idea what your, what your talents are. You have no idea how God has wired you. But, you know, maybe, maybe you see a homeless person and your heart breaks. We have this thing called the community partner team that we are working to bring the love of Christ into those circles, to, to bring meals to those who don't have a meal, to bring a, a food to those who don't have food and clothing to those who don't have them, to partner with, with those who are down and out in our society so that we might lift them up and show them the love of Christ. Maybe, maybe you like to plan events. Well, then get on our outreach team. Get on our event planning team. God has given us this incredible gift called the Restoration Church. Do you guys see this as a gift? Am I the only one who sees this as a gift? I hope, I hope not. I really hope not. But this gift came with a responsibility. And the responsibility is to function in unity as we learn to, learn, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and as we learn to apply that love to our neighbors. He has called us to be witnesses. He has called us to be his ambassadors. He has called us to be his appeal. For some strange reason, he has put his faith and his trust in us that we might lift up the cross of Christ in our community, that we might be a restoring agent in our community. Is that crazy to anybody? And we do this. You know, we do it faithfully every Sunday morning, except for last Sunday when the roads are too bad. We do this. We, we come here and we lift up the glory of God through the songs we sing. And, and we proclaim his gospel faithfully every Sunday. And we proclaim his word, and we, and we get dirty as we wrestle with what the word is trying to teach us. We, we do this faithfully as, as we have outreaches, like the barbecue that we had this past summer, or trunk or treat, or the caroling event, or, or the, the Easter outreach that we're having in a couple months, or all the summer outreaches we're going to be doing. We do this as we generously seek our community, right? As we, as we see a family in need and we say, what can we do as a people representing God, learning to love God and learning to apply that love to others? What can we do to assist this family who is in need? We do this through our groups and our community homes that are going to be starting up. But here's the thing, you know, Restoration Church began with 55 adults. 55 adults who did 100% of everything. We did it all. And 11 weeks later, those 55 adults are still doing 97% of the work. But are there more than 55 adults who call Restoration Church home? 
We, we, have, we have more body parts than we're using. We're, we're letting our limbs sit stagnant. We're letting our arms just lay placid at our side. And we're not going to accomplish the, the goal that God has called us to accomplish if we do not learn to utilize the strength of everybody in this room and everybody who calls Restoration Church home that is not with us today. And so my point in telling you this is not to guilt you into serving. I'm not trying to, like, manipulate and turn your little buttons to say, hey, why don't you come and serve because we need you, but we do. I'm not manipulating you. I'm not guilting you into anything. But if you call Restoration Church home, I implore you to get involved because we need you to accomplish our goal of being God's appeal, of being God's witness in this world. We need you. We cannot do this without your strength, without your love, without the giftings God has given you, without your prayer. We cannot do it. And so you have these blue cards, right? I said I was going to come back to these. This is not an exhaustive list of all the needs at Restoration Church, and the, the needs are going to expand. But if you call Restoration Church home, I encourage you to get involved. I implore you to take yourself, and you might see yourself as a limb, or you might see yourself as an organ, and say, man, the body needs to function. The body needs to work. How can I get involved to serve the greater mission of Restoration Church? I would encourage you to take a look at that list. And if something on that list jumps out at you to say, man, I can do that. I can serve in that way. I can turn the dials back in the booth. I can, I can listen for a, for a good mix. I can serve our children. Then I implore you to fill that out and hand it in after the service. And, and honestly, you know, some of these things just need to be done. Every, every Sunday morning I come and I straighten out the rows. <laughs> and I, I try to spend that time in prayer, but really it takes me 20 minutes and I come as an individual and I straighten out all the rows because the rows get kind of wavy. And we started this morning lynch rolling all the chairs. <laughs> and there's stuff in your pockets, right? And the pockets kind of get disheveled and a lot of them become absent of the things that should be in them. And, and really there's things that just need to be done. It doesn't take a lot of talent to stuff a pocket, but it takes a heart to serve. It takes an ability. It takes 20 minutes out of your Sunday morning. We have an incredible custodial team that comes every week to vacuum their church building and to wash our bathrooms and to clean our rooms and to dust. And they do it faithfully every single week, but I bet you they would love if that burden was disseminated against across the 150 people that call Restoration Church home. If we want to accomplish our mission as Restoration Church, then it is going to take the gifts and the abilities and the strength of everybody involved to do it. We need your love. We need your service. We need the unique way God has gifted you so that we can reach our community with his love. And so let's bring it back to the deer in the woods, shall we? You can either come to this place and we can sit next to each other and we can sing songs and we can hear an incredible message. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. And, uh, but, we, you know, we can, we can do that without getting to know one another. It's very easy to come into this place, sit in a chair, and then sneak out the back before anybody gets to know you. Before you even have the ability for someone to love you or you have the, the ability to love one another. But like I said in the beginning... The, the church exists in our fellowship. The church exists in our love and our reciprocity of love, of giving and receiving. That's where church exists. We can come here. You can sit in your chair. You can leave. 
You can do nothing. That's a choice you can make, and that's fine. If that's a choice that you feel like you need to make right now. But if we all do that, then we are just a pile of severed limbs. We are a heartless, mindless, motionless beast that can do very little to accomplish the goal of being God's appeal and being God's witness to advance his kingdom throughout Leventown. And that is my prayer. Not that we would just be a church of a lot of cool people that has a lot of fun on Sunday mornings, but that that household across the street would be changed because we exist here. That we would be different, that we would treat our spouses differently, that we would treat our children differently, that we would treat our parents differently because we come to this place on Sunday morning, that somehow because we came together that the love of God is, is, is more zealous in me today than it was yesterday. And if you don't want any part of that, you can remain a broken, detached limb. But my prayer is that we would come together and that we would look at that beast and those pile of limbs and that pile of organs. We say, we want nothing to do with that. Let's come together in unity. Let's come together as the body of Christ to accomplish the goal that God has called us to accomplish. Amen? Amen. If you would please stand for the prayer and benediction. At the end of the day, my hope and my prayer for you is that you would walk away from this place having learned to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of it, right? That is a lifelong process. All of it. And that somehow you would learn to take that love and you would apply it to your neighbor. That we would be the Jesus idol in our community. That we would be a faithful representative of who God is. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about this. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to love God? What does it mean to love one another? I hope that you can join us. Invite your friends. Invite your neighbors. Come and show them that, that church isn't what they thought it was. That the way that we have represented God as a nation, as a culture, maybe hasn't been accurate. That we are people striving with all of our might to love him and to love others. And we do so broken, in a broken way. I understand that. We don't, do it always, we don't always do it faithfully. But let us learn to do it a little more each day. And may we faithfully represent God to our world. Amen. Go in peace, Restoration Church.